This is Mishmash, a weekly conversation where we unjumble an important and sometimes under the radar statewide issue that affects you. Thousands of people have been tuning in lately to what are normally pretty procedural Michigan hearings. A couple weeks ago, it was a Board of State canvassers meeting. The four members certified Michigan's elections results in that one. And on Wednesday night, it was a State House Oversight Committee, which is, you know, a topic that tends to put people to sleep usually when they hear the term State House Oversight Committee. But this time, President Trump's attorney, Rudy Giuliani, came to the committee with the intention of talking about, or in this case presenting, what they said are irregularities with the Michigan election, almost all of which had previously been heard by judges and dismissed or disproven flat out by reporters. Unusual is sort of a a light way to say it, but it was a a very unusual hearing in a lot of ways. For one, Giuliani, he's not a state representative or a member of the committee. He was the one asking a lot of the questions of the people that he brought to speak. And in order to unpack what happened, we wanted to bring in someone to talk about what these meetings are supposed to look like, how this actually works usually, and what he feels uh, was concerning about this particular meeting. So Martin Hauerlach is a former Republican member of the State House and former vice chair of that House Oversight Committee. Martin, welcome to Mishmash. It's good to be here. Thank you. So you actually tweeted during the hearing, you said, quote, I'm watching this Michigan House Oversight Committee and I'm really frustrated. This should not be happening. uh, And the meeting is out of control. It's rather sad, actually. Nearly five hours of delusion. Uh, Talk again a a little bit about that that reaction on your part and and, and why you said that, because I think that a lot of people were feeling the same way. But it means a lot coming from you as a Republican and as someone who served on this committee. It clearly was was done in a way where the committee decided to partake in the current political circus that that we have at the moment. And that's where I'm sad. That's where I'm frustrated. And I think a lot of Michigan residents should be. And it really, at least in the near term, is going to undermine the confidence that the public has in the Oversight Committee. Likewise, I think that the minority party was marginalized at times. I think that minority members were treated differently. I think that the witnesses were out of hand. And... Uh, certainly uh, people shouldn't be allowed to speak at length about things that were questionable at best and in many cases probably even made up um, or certainly unsubstantiated. That's a nice pleasant way of putting it, unsubstantiated claims. So that though, there are a lot of concerns about how it's conducted. And if it wanted to actually simply investigate irregularities in election, I, and, I, and I truly believe that there's a role for both parties to continue to do that because it's, it's all about process improvement. And election integrity should be on everybody's uh, bucket list of things that they want to take care of in the legislature. But that should have been done after the inauguration of the next president, after things settle down a bit, when it's, you know, maybe February or March, at when and the new legislature is, is seated. So when we're beyond all of the antics that are presently happening right now, the Electoral College, for example, hasn't even met yet. I would certainly say it has to be on the other side of the Electoral College meeting. Based on what you saw, what would you say is maybe the most unusual or or maybe concerning aspect of how that committee hearing went? Well, I'll tell you, generally speaking, my lamentation about all of this is that through the the past two chairs, and and I will tell you that I believe uh, now Senator Ed McGroom really created the gold standard when it came to running the oversight committee. And then after that, Representative Graves, and before that, even Representative McMillan. But all three of them worked really hard to really have a dignified organization in the way they ran the meetings and tried to be even-handed and involve people from 
the minority party in the operations and decision making of the committee. And the committee has done a lot of good things. When you look at the last term, there was a lot of work done on unemployment insurance reform. There was a lot of time and effort put into that. So when you look at going from that to a, a committee that clearly is just jumping right in to a very hyper-political situation, and timing clearly is saying we're going to embrace all of the hyper-politics that's present right now, it's just completely taking the committee into completely different and uncharted territory. And my lamentation is I think that it's potentially damaging to the committee, at least in the near term. I, I have better hope in the long term, but cer certainly in the near and in medium term, I think it's doing some damage to the committee and its role, important role at that in state government. Yeah, I wanted to talk a little bit about that, especially when it comes to the element of trust in the process uh, when people are watching this and the the things that are being said have been widely debunked. They sort of fall into the conspiracy theory category. What does that do to the public's trust in the way that this uh, committee is operating? And and overall, just the, the, the trust in the legislature to fulfill this role that it's that's so important. I think it, it has a tendency to really lessen the trust in it. And, you know, keep in mind that primarily what happens on that committee on a, on a routine basis is it's serving as an oversight capacity for the executive uh, function of government. And think about uh, overseeing the various different uh, departments and, and units of, of state government. And so it's really important that there be an integrity and that uh, it not be hyper-political. Uh, I know it's very difficult these days to not be political, but I think that there's a, a way to do it, and that path had been charted uh, very well in the past. So that also involves things such as the minority party and the representatives from the minority party having a dignified presence and, and not feeling like they are being marginalized. I mean, that that starts a downward path, and, and you really need to take that back and, and let that not happen. It's very important that all members of the committee, regardless of their affiliation or, or lack thereof, have a seat at the table and a voice at the table. Let's back up just a little bit, because I feel like if some like there were there are thousands of people watching this committee hearing, many of them, I would imagine, from out of state. And if you'd never seen an over one of our oversight committee hearings before, uh, you might think that maybe this is how things go. Um, so talk to us about sort of how are these meetings actually supposed to go? What is what is their function and and and, and sort of like what is the the usual sort of course of business uh, for these types of hearings? Sure. Well, in general committee meetings, obviously you have uh, business that's conducted and then the public obviously through its its open right to attend and witness and testify as a has a limited participation right obviously there has to be a limit otherwise the legislature would go about 24 hours a day with the number of people that want to testify and you know certainly coming from city government that was a little bit different to me but it, there's a practical element to it too the meeting itself is run by the the committee and the committee delegates, obviously you can't have, you know, six or eight members running a committee. So they delegate that authority to the chair of the committee. Um, of course, the chair is designated by the speaker, but that's the general nuts and bolts of that committee. And quite frankly, all of the committees in, uh, in Lansing and probably in most legislatures nationally. This one in particular has a, a unique uh, interaction with the rest of state government and its role as an oversight committee. So typically, 
the oversight committee uh, is meeting with and its presentations are, are by the state's auditor general and department representatives from the various departments who are on the agenda for that particular um, meeting. And so it's very uh, professional, very genteel, but it's also, you know, there's business to conduct. And if things are not being done properly, there can be some very difficult questions for people who are presenting to answer. And the other thing, too, is that uh, there's some limited subpoena uh, power that the, that the committee has when exercised. People don't need to be sworn in, but I know that was an issue yesterday. Uh, that typically, I'm trying to think, being sworn in was not necessarily typically routine, but it, you know, certainly within in the realm of the committee to do so. But at the end of the day, I think your initial comments about it being uh, somewhat of a soporific <laughs> uh, is probably about right. And I think what happened yesterday was anything but being a soporific, although it did get quite long in a tooth and repetitive. I will say that. <laughs> Where do you think, given that, as you mentioned, there there could be this sort of erosion of trust with the with the legislature following um this this hearing, I guess, where do you think the legislature goes from here? And how do they sort of uh, instill confidence uh, in members of the state? You know, like any organization, there's a lot of tone at the top. And um, it, it, I think that that's really going to be in the hands of uh, the incoming speaker, Wentworth, and the incoming uh, minority leader. Uh, I think the two of them are capable of maybe ratcheting down the tone a bit. And um, their approach, uh, Wentworth, uh, Representative Wentworth, is a little different in the way he conducts himself than the current speaker. But, I mean, that's really where the answer is. And who gets appointed to the committee and how, the, how, how, do, how do they make those decisions? Who will be the chair of the committee? One of the things I've always been proud of as a, as a Michigan resident and, and certainly as a voter is that in spite of all of the histrionics that have happened in, in Washington, and it's been going down the wrong path for many years, Michigan's legislature, for the most part, has been very functional. And one of the, the hidden secrets that I, I tried to do my best as a legislator, and even as a private citizen to enlighten people about, is that it's a very high-functioning body. In other words, it gets things done, and even though a lot of the control is in the majority party, the minority party has a pretty significant seat at the table and members of the minority party have the ability to get things done. And, you know, that I witnessed that my, with my very own eyes, most of what happens in a legislature is very bipartisan. It's a few, it's a handful of very wedge issue oriented things that, that really, you know, sell uh, when it comes to elections and people need to, you know, say we're different than the other party because of this, that, and the other. But, I think that there's, I have a lot of hope. I think that um, a lot of it that we're seeing right now is just some of the national stuff uh, percolating into the, to the, to the state uh, operations. And, and it would have been my hope that dif different decisions were made. And I think at, at the leadership level, that's where my criticism is. At the, at, the, at the leadership level, decisions were made that brought us into this situation. And I hope that the next leadership makes a, makes a decision to kind of take the train back onto the rails. Really quick, I, well, maybe not really quick, but, uh, you know, I want to talk a little bit about, uh, you know, go a little high level here on the importance of, of oversight and the legislature's role in, in oversight of, of state agencies and state government more generally. Um, 
you know, it's something that that you and I have both actually have commented publicly about that this is something maybe people don't pay enough attention to. Uh, it's a role of the legislature that isn't as often talked about as the big controversial bills coming through. Um, but as a you know, as former vice chair of that that committee, talk about. Um, exactly what does it mean uh, for the legislature to have this power? What, what, what is their role in that? And, uh, you know, and why is it so important? So you, you look at your three branches of our government, the judicial, the executive, and the legislative. And, you know, a lot of, uh, of airtime is given to elected officials. And the vast majority of those elected officials are at the legislative branch, um, of course, in Michigan. We just have our statewide elected officials, you know, the governor, the secretary of state, and so on. And so the, the legislature's role particularly is limited in its ability to influence the day-to-day activities of the state. And that's where, the, the, and that's where a key role of the oversight committee in the House uh, is, and that's, and that's very important. And what do I mean by that? A good example, and I mean, it was a pretty significant situation that we've had in a number of areas of government. And unfortunately, I mean, these things happen and they need to be reined in as quickly as possible. But we had a significant issue with um, unemployment insurance agency. And we have it again, again in a different way right now, but um, with, uh, with robo fraud. In other words, we, we implemented a, the state. And when I say we, I mean the state. The state implemented a, a new um, software system and it was supposed to streamline things. And it streamlined things in such ways it created uh, a 92% failure rate when it came to identifying fraud. What that meant was that 92% of the people that received a nasty letter from the unemployment insurance agency were not guilty of any fraud, but they were accused of it and uh, had their benefits yanked and penalties assessed them. So it was, a, it was a big problem. And the fact that the oversight committee was able to be involved with the uh, department on a routine and frequent basis in order to collaboratively work on reforming it and remedying uh, uh, the situation, I think was very important. If you didn't have the legislature involved in that oversight committee, uh, through that oversight capacity rather, uh, the ability to influence and to exert such such organizational change in such a uh, short time frame. And by short, and we're talking government short, like 18 to two months to two years, but that's pretty quick. In, uh, in government standards, but it had a pretty significant impact. Individual legislators don't have that impact, and they also don't have the uh, authority to issue subpoenas. I mean, the, the Oversight Committee carries a very big stick, and it's important to use it very wisely because you don't always need to use a stick. Most times you can actually get things done by simply talking to people. And, you know, that's, that, and when you have a well-intentioned governor, who, and we have had one now, and we had one previously under Rick Snyder. When you have a well-intentioned governor, that governor is collaborating with the legislature in order to fix things. And many things that are presented to the Oversight Committee are good. And so let's not overlook that as well. But the fact that they're there, they're part of the oversight capacity, it, it makes it much more difficult for things to go bad and for uh, you know the think bad people to get away with bad things. Most people in government are good, just like the run of the mill, but that that's its role. It's uh, it's no different than you can't have your kids running your household. You need to be looking over them. Um, <laughs> you need to have somebody in an oversight capacity in all organizations. 
Is there anything else that you really want to add, uh, Martin, about this or, or uh, you know, anything that we should talk about before we go? Well, I mean, structurally, I mean, I think one of the things that you're seeing manifest itself right now is you have a first term legislator who probably has never run a legislative, well, actually, obviously his first term, he's never run a legislative committee before. And you have a very strong willed speaker of the house who wants to get things done in a certain way. Then uh, I think that, that, and I, th- I think the confluence of that and God only knows what was discussed in the white house a couple of weeks ago. Um, that's kind of led us to this point. It's my understanding that previous to this, the oversight com- committee was pretty much functioning, you know, in its normal role and, and doing its normal things. Um, but I'm not really sure what kind of, lasting impact this is going to have. Um, so we'll kind of see how that shakes out. My point, though, is that I think, I think there is some validity in the need to have somebody with, who's at least a second or third term representative running that committee. They know how things operate. They know, they better, they know better how to liaise with the departments. They know how to get things done. It, there's a lot of um, false starts when you're a first-term legislator. And um, how to get things done is one of those things that you learn and you don't learn it and you're, you know, you just don't walk in knowing how to do that. So I think that, and I'm just saying this in my own opinion, that we would have been better off as a state to have somebody who wasn't in his first term running that committee. I don't know if you want to go this far, but a lot of people have been talking about uh, what this means for term limits and people's perceptions of term limits after this. Um, but, you know, <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, you know, I, I think there's a case to be made for that. I, I think the overarching concern is that there's a lot of distrust in general that the public has in its elected representatives. Um, and so that's why, you know, removing term limits is not necessarily that popular. And I will tell you that when I was 18 years old, that was one of the first things I got to vote on in, I think it was 1994, maybe I was 20, but it was my first election as an adult and a voter. And my opinion then is the same as it is now, which is as a voter, I should have the right to choose who represents me. And if that person has been there for 16 years and I want them to be representing me in Lansing or Washington, then that's my choice as a voter, or at least that's our choice collectively as the voters and the, um, the constituency that that individual is representing. So what that means, of course, is that the, the legislature, you know, the house in particular, they can serve three two-year terms, and most of that first year, to be honest with you, um, very few of those people, unless they were working in legislative offices previously, don't have a very good grasp of how to navigate the system. I certainly didn't. I had my own sets of false starts, even within the caucus trying to operate. That was much different than anything I'd seen before. So there's a, lot, there's a pretty significant learning curve, and if one-third of your tenure is, is delegated to learning, <laughs> it, it makes it very hard to be to maximize your time as being effective. And then of course what happens is you have this need for lame duck and things are being rushed at the 11th hour because of the politics and a lot of historical knowledge is lost. I could go on and on about it. Go, go ahead. <laughs> I think there's something to be said for that. Yeah, it's uh, the old line that uh, there's always term limits. It's called an election, right? <laughs> that, that's very true. And I, you know, I, in, in the last uh, five to 10 years, I know at the federal level, you've seen a lot of congressmen, congresswomen, and senators choose not to run for re-election. And a couple in Michigan, have been, including my uh, congressman, uh, threw in the towel and said that, this, you know, that he, wasn't, he didn't find it a very productive environment uh, 
Congressman Trott, Congressman Mitchell. And, and so people are choosing also to self-term limit themselves uh, because they feel like maybe it's not their best use of their own individual resources. So we've had a lot of that happening nationally. And what we really need to do is get back to the, the concept of, of citizen legislators. And that doesn't necessarily mean that, that they can't be there for a long time. You can still be a citizen legislator and be there for a long time. It's about, you know, where is your mindset? Is your mindset with your constituents trying to represent the people that even didn't vote for you? Because at the end of the day, we only have, I only have one representative. I only have one senator. And I should be able to have representation whether or not I vote for that person, right? I should not be looked at as somebody who maybe needs to get second-class service because I'm of a certain affiliation. Um, so it's important for our legislators to look at people blindly and to treat people equally and to be even-handed. And so there's a lot of stories in the press lately about, you know, do you represent your party or, or you do, re do you represent your constituency? And to me, it's a no-brainer. You're representing your constituency. And, uh, you know, the party affiliation is just a collective group of people trying to, you know, band together to get things done. It's not, it's not a gang and it's not a cult. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, people, are, people get elected by the people who represent them. And that's the people that they answer to, not to the political party. All right. Martin Hauerlach, former Republican state representative and former vice chair of the House Oversight Committee. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Well, that's all for Mishmash this week. I'm Jake Neer. And I'm Shana Roth. Thanks for tuning in. 